by speaking to our Heavenly Father. Would you pray with me right now? Lord, in our world of multiple choice, in our world of privileged options, we so often consider your instructions optional. Forgive us for this cavalier attitude and teach us today what is so essential that so often we treat as optional. May we leave with a renewed um, commitment to allow your spirit to fill us, to use us, to bear fruit through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Allow me to remind you uh, what we're doing. Uh, I would have chosen to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit this summer and to render that in a way that is tangible and understandable. Uh, I've gone to Matthew chapter 26 and looked at uh, Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying that three major things happened in this event. First of all, the disciples were sleeping. Jesus was struggling, and then Jesus yielded completely to his Father's will and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Through these three things, if we will grapple with them, I think we will gain a better understanding of this ministry of the Holy Spirit. I talk about sleeping. The disciples were missing what was happening because they were asleep. Struggling, Jesus is engaging in the process of allowing the Spirit to work. And then yielding, Jesus is then filled with the Spirit and functions in great power to accomplish the greatest thing ever done in time and space. So far in this metaphor, we've looked at the problem with sleeping. And the problem with sleeping, number one, is that we miss the person. We treat the Holy Spirit as if he's some kind of energy. And he's not. He's a person. And secondly, we misunderstand the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's been a lot of misunderstanding there. The first problem renders your spiritual walk impersonal or selfish. You, you think you're left to do it on your own and you're trying to make it on your own. The second one renders your spiritual walk offensive because you're ignoring his presence and resisting his influence. So we don't want to do that. That's the problem with sleeping. Let's enter into the struggle and begin to find the power that is offered through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We want to fight the drift. Last week I quoted Don Carson a couple of times when he, he talks about this drift, that people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from the grace-given effort that we can exert, people do not gravitate towards godliness and, and prayer and obedience to Scripture and faith and delight in the Lord. We drift towards, and then he listed all these different things. Uh, compromise, and, and we call it tolerance, and disobedience, we call it freedom, and superstition, we call it faith, and, and on he went. We don't want to drift. Let's enter the fight, the struggle, and see what God wants to do through us. So we move to the next activity in this garden, and that would be uh, this struggle, where we find the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I mentioned uh, when we first looked at this uh, image in Matthew chapter 26 that when Jesus was doing this, it was personal. It's going to require some personal response of yours in order for him 
to accomplish what he wants to through you. So I'm just warning you. Um, this isn't a warm and fuzzy message today. I hope you leave disturbed. Because I've been disturbed. You know, preaching is just getting back at people, what you've been studying all week long and supposed to obey and lead the example with. So I'm getting back at you, all right? This is going to take a personal response. It was pivotal. He, he said, keep watch. I feel in anguish, like I could die. This was a pivotal moment, and life is made up of pivotal moments. And then he was compliant. I asked you when we talked about whose will will. He said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Then as we move through the New Testament, we see this expanded on. And so we went to Galatians chapter 5, where we're going to be uh, looking this morning. So you can turn that, uh, if you will, and I'll read it in a minute. But in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26, uh, we see uh, a struggle. And there is a struggle. That's why we have to have a personal response. There is this normal, natural drift that I was talking about. And then there's what happens when we yield. This fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we took a Sunday to see how, in Matthew 26 and 27, we see all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit demonstrated in Christ Jesus once He yields completely to the Holy Spirit. Now look at the parenthesis in this passage in in Galatians chapter 6, right in verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And then at the very end, in verse uh, 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if we'll enter in to this struggle and allow the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to, what will happen? Will it be worth it? Is it optional? Do I really have to do this? And that's the question that you face this morning. Do I really have to do this? That's what I'd like to spend the next couple of weeks talking about. The struggle. Am I going to make this choice or am I not? And this particular Sunday, the first reason we ought to is because of fruit bearing. Let's look at fruit bearing. This is what happens, first of all, if we will enter into the struggle. Christian Schwartz uh, is kind of a German version of, uh, of, Ralph, of George Barna, uh, who is a Christian researcher uh, of society and the church. And uh, Christian Schwartz, in his book, Natural Church Development, is the first time I saw an explanation that the Lord's using of, of uh, use of gardening or horticultural examples uh, that we see in the parables was not simply because he chose to come to earth at a time when the culture was agrarian. As if he were uh, to come today, and uh, if he did, he would use illustrations like uh, out of industry or technology. I decided to have a little fun with this this morning. Um, this would be a John 15 that would never happen. Okay? John 15, you know, I am the vine and you are the branches. This would never happen. Jesus would not show up today and say, I am the true operating system. And my father is the motherboard. You are my programs. Every program that does not produce, my father debugs so it will work properly. If you remain a PC program and allow me to be your proprietary, proprietary operating system, and don't root, or what's the other one you do with Apple? You call, um, you, uh, <laughs> you crash. 
Um, there's an, oh, you, uh, you jailbreak. You know, if you don't do that, I will make you great and not allow spyware to infect you with viruses, but rather I will take you from a 1.0 version to make you uh, become an icon of stable processing in a world of cyber development. There's no spiritual depth in that. In fact, Christian Schwartz says this, Jesus himself frequently used parables from nature and agriculture to illustrate the nature of the kingdom of God. The lilies of the field, the seed that grows by itself, the growth of the mustard seed, the four soils, the tree and its fruit, the laws of sowing and reaping. Some interpreters claim that Jesus used these examples simply because his audience lived in an agrarian society and therefore related best to these kinds of illustrations. I don't think that goes far enough. If Jesus were walking among us today, he would hardly replace these parables from nature with the parables of a world of computers, such as the kingdom uh, of God is like a computer. Your input depends on your output. Uh, I did a whole lot better than that. Anyway, he says, a typical example of the biotic principle can be found in Matthew chapter 6. See the lilies of the field, Jesus says. How they grow. The word see doesn't fully cover in English the implications of the Greek. This is an intensive form of methano, meaning learn, observe, study, research. Whenever the Greek kata is used, which is put at the front of this, it's usually intensive. It intensifies the word. And in our context, that would mean to diligently learn or observe or study or research. What is it then that we're to diligently study? It's not the lilies and their beauty, but rather the growth mechanisms, how they grow. We're to study them, examine them, meditate on them, take direction from them. All of these aspects include this imperative verb. We're told that we need to do things, these things in order to understand the principles of the kingdom of God. That's my point. Fruit-bearing really matters, and it's not some kind of uh, little illustration. It's an explanation of how the Holy Spirit works. So, let's go to Galatians chapter 5 and 6, and I want to show you why it's worth our effort to enter into the fruit bearing. Why is it important to study this and for us to bear fruit? Three reasons. First of all, to prove what is supernatural. And this is concrete. Allow me to read Galatians chapter 6, verses 16 to the end of the chapter. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other. So that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And against, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Immediately here we see in this passage two 
real things, very real things in conflict with each other. Life by the Spirit of God, seen in the fruits of the Spirit, and life in the sinful nature, seen in these awful acts that are described here. One is visible, and hard, uh, one is invisible, that is, this life in the Spirit, and hard for people to believe. The other is obvious, and what most people do believe, because they can see it. One is impossible to be done by anyone outside of God. The other is the perfect proof of one being outside of God. When the one, the impossible one, is accomplished by what is not seen, it becomes evidence in the life of that one who used to be like the other. And that's called proof. And we need this more than ever. After 2,000 years of this Holy Spirit coming and indwelling people, more than ever, people need proof that this is real, that this is true. Yet it's a struggle, isn't it? That's why we still need the proof. Because there's a struggle here. Both of these realities exist in our world. The life of a spirit, of, of, of spirit fruit coming out of frail human people, and a life of depraved behavior that is natural to these same people. These realities both exist. One, unfortunately, is more evident than the other. And the only proof that, can, that anyone can be any different than that is demonstrated by those who live by the Spirit and have these supernatural things work out of their life in such concrete ways that people can't help but believe that's true. I've changed the names in this example. Actually, I don't give any names at all. But to protect the implicated. But this is a true story. Of a person that I know. Who was adrift. You remember the drift? He was adrift. Attitudinal. Obnoxious. Divisive. Arrogant. Insecure. Defeated and cantankerous. I sound mean, don't I? It's true, he was. If I gave you his name, you could go ask him. He was all of those things. He had difficulty with relationships, mostly with people closest to him. After he resigned himself to the Lord Jesus Christ, and allowed the Holy Spirit to begin to bear fruit in him. This is my description of that person now. Focused. Understanding. Gentle. A listener. Humble. Secure. Accomplished. And congenial. And it's just as true as the previous description was true. When having to live for several days with, with one whom, uh, with whom he uh, had particular personal struggles, I watched him be humble, kind, gentle, never instigating a conflict by his behavior, instead repeatedly disarming those conflicts time and time again. 
What is that? Proof. Because I know what that guy was like. To then see what he is like is to see the fruit of the Spirit change a natural, normal person like me. A natural person bearing spirit fruit is living proof of the supernatural. What do you got, something to prove? Yeah, I do. You do. You've got something to prove. That God is real and alive and He changes people and makes them more like Himself. You really do have something to prove. Do you know that? And this world desperately needs to see it. Why bother with fruit bearing? Because people need to see. True faith with skin on it, right? We need to prove what is supernatural through the concrete, visible demonstration of the fruits of the Spirit. Look at it this way. What Jesus did on earth in His miracles to prove who He was... Now, He wants to do through you, through the Holy Spirit, to prove what He has made us to be. What were the miracles then to prove who He was? Now are the miracles through you to prove what He can do through people that give themselves to Him. Jesus said, by their fruits you will recognize them. So is that true of you? Could somebody describe you the way I just described this other person? Are you fruit-bearing? You have something to prove. And if you'll enter the struggle and resign yourself to Him, those fruits will become increasingly evident. And the proof will be in your life. Another reason we should enter the struggle of fruit-bearing, to grow what is natural. This actually, is conditional. Previous was supernatural. This is conditional. First verses of chapter 6 of Galatians. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, I want you to notice the picture that's up on the PowerPoint. I chose this intentionally. Here we have fruit that is growing under conditioned circumstances. The intent to show is that these aren't wild strawberries growing in a field, but rather, obviously, they are um, domesticated and being grown in a certain atmosphere, in a certain condition. That's not cheating. 
That's intentional. God means for that to be. It's okay. It's not false. It's wise. The Lord in the Old Testament promised that with faithfulness and obedience to Him, He would bless their crops and their animals beyond all other countries. And at times they did receive that kind of blessing. He manipulated the conditions as long as they were willing to obey and He would cause things to grow. I think controlled conditions are what the Lord had in mind at the very beginning in the garden as He created a perfect setting for things to grow and flourish and to be. It's not wrong. He means for us to play a part in this. Right after talking about the supernatural intervention of God in the life of a person to change them, Paul adds the second part, and that's our responsibility. We plant the seed and water, and God brings the growth. This passage is about our behavior that I just read, our relationship with each other, our choices, our places, our values, instruction about obedience. Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's conditioned upon your personal responsibility. And these are tensions that we find in Scripture that must exist. God's role that's supernatural, that you cannot control, and through that He produces His fruit, and your responsibility, responding to Him as you're supposed to, walking in obedience, striving to allow Him to do all He wants to do, sowing the seed and trusting Him to bring the growth. Why fruit growing, bearing? To grow what is natural. And this is conditioned. Conditional. It's conditioned on your personal responsibility. You sow, He grows. Natural growth is conditioned on your personal responsibility. So, we have to apply ourselves. What's the application here? You grow through discipline. You grow through discipline. Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you glad you came today? I don't know how to soften this. I don't know how to tell you it's easy. You just do it. Stop doing this. Start doing that. Go to bed earlier. Get up earlier. Read more. Eat less. Get more exercise. Whatever it is. You're just supposed to do it. Uh, found a road the other day that... Uh, taking Christina over to the Antons and I uh, went a different way and I found Tints Road. You ever been on, is it Tints or Tink or Tints? Coming in the backside off of Bartle Corner? Okay, so I ride bike, right? So so this road, man, as soon as I turned on it, you asked Christina, she's like, I, I kept going, wow, check out this road. Whoa, look at this road. It's, it's one of these, you know, and every time you turn a corner, it was another hill. And I kept going, oh, oh man, can you imagine this is a beautiful road? <laughs> So she's like, oh, Dad, you're going to do it? I said, I don't know. I don't know. This one's hard. Keep turning the corner. So yesterday, need to go for a ride. I got plenty of time. I, you know, I could do a little ride. I'm going to do that road. I did. I'm a little weary today. But I did it. Because I made a choice. I just went and did it. Well, there's plenty of other days I don't just do it. I don't make the right choice. I do eat too much. I go to bed too late. Whatever. Application. This is our responsibility. This happens because we discipline ourselves. 
because we willingly do what we're supposed to do. Why fruit bear? <laughs> to grow what is natural. It is conditional. It's your responsibility. Finally, one more reason. To mature what is gradual. And this is about character. This is a reward of deciding to do those things a whole mess of times so that you mature. A couple times in Scripture we see this wonderful description of a person who is blessed. Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. That's the mature person. Fruit bearing assumes a process of growth over time and years of development that brings about maturity. So last week my uncle and aunt came by to visit and I had a cousin with them. And uh, I, apparently I'm the brunt of uh, lots of family jokes because... On our honeymoon, um, we went and visited my uncle and aunt. Now, that's not all we did, but it's all they want to talk about, okay? So, so we had some time away alone, but then we were in New Hampshire, and uh, the weather wasn't that great. We were taking rides in the car, and we went over, and I said, you know, I don't think my un- uncle's uh, orchard is that far from here. So we went and saw them, and they've always been kind of favorites of mine. And so we spent some time with them, and, and they were like, hey, come on back. So actually, we did. We went and packed up the stuff, and we went over and stayed with them for a few days. So, marvelous thing to do on your honeymoon, I guess. So they're teasing me about it still. But we did a couple of things I've never forgotten, and so I get sermon illustrations out of it, and so I'm glad that I went and did that. We pulled some fence, we did some things. He was, uh, he was developing this orchard, which has grown significantly uh, over the 30 years now that he's had the thing. And I did something with him when I was there that was fascinating. These little saplings, about this big, we went around with clothespins. And uh, if this is the stalk of the tree, this was a branch, it was on an angle like that. And you would take the clothespin and you would bend the branch down and put the clothespin right there so that the branch grew at a 90 degree angle to the tree. Simple little task. When the tree was small and young and supple, it was a sapling. What it did is it caused the branches to grow at a 90 degree angle, of course, to the stalk of the tree, the trunk. Why? Because these were cultivated uh, uh, apple trees that would produce large apples and so heavy that if a branch is on an angle like that and it weighs down because of the apples, it will break and ruin the tree. Instead, if it grows at a right angle, it holds all of the weight of that without breaking. Thirty years later, they're still cultivating, growing, selling apples off of those little trees that are now mature, that season after season, year after year, under the difficult circumstances. I mean, wasn't that fair, that poor little thing, you know, to put it under that kind of stress? Now it's a mature tree that continues to produce year after year after year. The description of a person who trusts in the Lord demonstrates over time through all of the seasons, walking along through the ups and downs, that they have found a source that is greater than they are. They do not fear the change of weather because they know how easily that changes. Instead, 
They found a life source in another and they continue to bear fruit because they depend on one greater than themselves. Gradual maturity is in the same place through different circumstances produces character. Now when I say in the same place, I don't mean geographically, so don't say, well, I'm here and I'm staying here and I'm never going to go anywhere. I mean in the same place of dependence spiritually on the living God. You trust Him long enough. You practice these disciplines uh, consistently enough. You stay centered on Him with consistency long enough. You're going to develop maturity. That develops through patience. So, why fruit bearing? Is it worth it? If we really enter in? Yeah. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to prove the genuineness of your changed life? Can people really tell that you're different? They ought to be able to. Is that worth it? Is it worth it to grow personally and to bear fruit season after season? Is it worth it to mature over time? It is according to the Bible's description of the ministry of the Holy Spirit because He calls it proof. It is for the fruit that's produced by the perfect gardener. That's growth. It is for what is produced through patience. That's called character. Nobody develops character overnight. It's something that's developed over time. Over day after day of making the right choice. I will do this. I won't do that. And you continue to do it over and over and over. And eventually you become a mature person of character. Man, that's worth it, isn't it? That's mean it isn't tough, but it is worth it. So let's enter the struggle. Let's practice the discipline. Let's prove something by letting the Holy Spirit produce fruit through us. Let's allow character to develop through maturity over time. What else can we do? What else can we say? but offer ourselves completely to Him. I'd like to ask the worship team to come, and we're going to sing that song that we just sang. Lord, what else can we do but offer ourselves to You? The elders will come and prepare the table, and we'll have an opportunity to respond to this exhortation this morning in a time of celebrating around the table.